0: Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or a real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you successfully sued a corporation only to have the principal claim it had no assets. What did you do? Dennis, we showed after the judgment there was
1: a pattern of the principal taking money out of the corporation for his own personal purposes.
0: And the outcome?
1: After examining and documenting the corporation bank statements, we showed a pattern where the principal was using the corporation as his own personal piggy bank. We were able to show that he personally had a lot of money and should be the real defendant. He thought he could get away with everything by hiding behind the skirts of the corporation,
0: but now he's personally liable. I'll say, another success. I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie & Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now, listen to The Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer.
1: i Lurie, and this is the Brooke Lurie Podcast with me and my good friend and producer, Ari David. Thanks so much for tuning in. Um, okay, uh, today, kind of a mishmash of a couple of different items, but all of them very critical. All right, first of all, in light of the recent uh, killings and murder sprees and so forth, the issue, of course, comes about gun control. And you have this uh, madman who killed the two reporters Um, Apparently it was a racist attack In uh, Roanoke, Virginia And then of course you have Other cop killings and such like that And the answer of the liberals is More gun control Right, more gun control Uh, we speak of the mind of, like, okay, no, more uh, cure or rather uh, dealing with mental illness, right? More person control. Person control, exactly right. And we're right and they're wrong, and we all know that. Okay, so now I present to you the following um, apparent, not paradox, but uh, exception to what appears to be the general rule. When you have a, a country that has lots of guns or allows guns to to be uh, given to its citizenry, it, it appears that crime actually goes down, right? We've seen this not only in different countries like Israel, for example, or Switzerland, where there's not a lot of crime in either of those countries. Um, and when you talk about Israel, it's too, uh, let, let me get it out, of the, out of, off the table already, because people will say, what, Israel, that's a dangerous place. No, it's actually a very, it's a crime-free place, practically speaking, Everyone has guns, and secondly, the, the society is just not built that way. You you have uh, people who are fo- so focused on education, and everyone should be a doctor and a lawyer, <laughs> that that you just don't have that kind of crime. Okay, uh, but even if you did, it, it, people would have uh, guns aplenty everywhere around, right? They would easily be able to take anyone down. So, you know, violent crime just doesn't exist in, in, by any stretch of the imagination. imagination anything close. To what you see in America. Likewise, in Switzerland. You, when, when was the last time you heard about a mass uh, shooting in Switzerland? Well, there they, they're they allowed to have guns uh, as well. No, they're not allowed. They're required. They're requ- that's right. They're required. but a But yes, not yes. allowed. <laughs> now, why Switzerland would allow that as opposed to, let's say, France or Germany, I, I don't know, and I don't really care. But except to the extent that it shows, it, it brings a bald-faced lie to the notion that somehow Gun control is the way to avoid these kind of mad, uh, raving killings, right? Okay. Um, and not only that, but we see that also in different towns in America. So in Texas, for example, you don't see too much massive killings uh, without somebody you know, killing the, the perpetrator at the end of the day. Um, it's, it's harder to do it. It's easier to do it in places like Colorado and, and New Jersey and, and New York City for that matter. Uh, than it is in, uh, in Texas or other places that, that respect uh, guns and allow people to carry arms. Okay, it's, the, the, the issue is basic, right? Okay. Now, I've heard this exception, the following exception be asserted many, many times, Ari, and I would like you on the spot, and I, I told him I would surprise him with this one, Australia. In Australia, they, they claim to have uh, a massive amount of gun control, and as a consequence, there is very little violence. First of all, is that true? And secondly, if it is true, uh, then you know, what, what do we say in response to that? Because I want to be, as you know, intellectually honest about these things. If there is an exception, then I want to deal with the exception. Is Australia an exception? Well,
2: as of April 2015, this year... Uh, Based on, I believe, a 1996 gun ban That took hundreds of thousands of weapons out of the hands of law-abiding Australians The murder rate is up 3.2%, the violent crime rate is up 8.6%, and armed robberies are up 45% So apparently, taking the guns from the law-abiding people wasn't such a good idea Hmm. That is very substantial Okay,
1: so it just wasn't true yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so somebody concocted this uh, theory that, that the gun control works so well in, in Australia, but in, in, in reality, it's not. When, when was a law that uh, that the gun that banned all 1996. guns? Nineteen ninety-six. Okay. So it's, ever since then, it's been going up.
2: Yeah, but they have a new uh, conservative administration for the last couple of years, so it could be that the the reason that information was based on April
1: uh, two thousand fifteen is they may have changed things. Right. Well, yeah. If you if you have conservative. Uh, Policies and therefore conservative law enforcement, and you give the police a lot of uh, discretion, then, of course, people will be afraid to commit uh, crimes. Look at New York City, for example, where – that's a very good example now that I think about it. New York City, the gun control laws are more or less the same in New York City. But the crimes went down significantly, not because of gun control, yay or nay, but because – police enforcement and the whole um, broken windows theory and so on.
2: Stop and frisk, Stop like and frisk. the uh, intolerance of graffiti, as you call it, broken windows, which right. is all part of those.
1: Right, so things. apples to apples, what what made New York such a safer city was because of good police enforcement and, of course, getting rid of the corruption and so on. So uh, and, and some privatization of things. Um, I, I think that's probably the answer there. And likewise, uh, when it came to Australia... Uh, despite any gun control issues that they had, what really happened at the end of the day was uh, good conservative policies with enforcement. And and once again, liberals will use the success of conservative policies uh, and take credit for it. Right, This is what they did with Bill Clinton. Um, he it ramrodded uh, welfare reform, or not he didn't ramrod it, rather he, he begrudgingly accepted welfare reform and then once he saw that it started working he, it was all about him. He was, I did this, aren't I great? Uh, so everything that he, that, that was succeeded was something, a was a result of great liberal policies. That's, and for that matter, the, the policies of the Democrats. Okay, good, I'm glad we answered that question. That is a, a hot topic that I wanted to talk about, but it is as it turns out, very timely. All right, I wanted to share with you something else. Um, these, are, these two stories are somewhat related. I have been seeing on Facebook and otherwise, this inundation of videos, uh, which are you know choreographed, it's, it's not pretending to be a documentary or real life, where um, you see these people walking down a street, let's say, in Berlin. It's, they're speaking in German, and there is this group of Muslim men, or appear, you know, darker-skinned men that they appear. They could be Muslim. It wouldn't be surprising if they were Muslim, right? And it, uh, and they're following a family, and the family, of course, is very concerned. This, uh, and it's a normal German white family, so to speak, and they're they feel like they're being chased, and they're running away from them. And then all of a sudden, the Muslims, you know. You know, start running toward them, and they're all the more scared. Well, don't you know? It turns out that there is a terrorist group, a white terrorist group, that in fact is trying to kill them, and the Muslims rescue the the white family from them. Right? And the 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 tagline is something to the effect of, you know, don't judge a book by its cover, or first impressions can kill, or whatever. Right? The notion being, of course, that. Um, Muslims are great, and you are misunderstanding them, and in fact, they can be wonderful people, right? I saw another one recently, very similar. <laughs> not, not a violent one, but one where, and, and of course not all Muslims are dangerous, so we gotta make that very clear here. But this effort to try to make it seem as if somehow all Muslims are great, <laughs> that, that I demur to, okay? That, that, that is also a wrong statement, right? So you see this family, they're at some sort of doctor's office, right? And there's, a, again, a young kid. He's probably 25 or so. And he's quiet and just minding his own business, don't you know? And he's at a doctor's office or just outside of a doctor's office. And there's this family. And they see him. And they quickly start maneuvering around to be as far away from his, him as possible. Because, you know, who knows? He might just jump up and start killing them, Right. So, but he, of course, is just couldn't be anything, you know, further from that. He, he is just not that way. And the family, you know, with the little daughter and everything else, um, they, 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 they wait for the doctor. Finally, the doctor opens the door, and he says, uh, "The such-and-such family, come on in." And and he points to the darker-skinned kid that they don't know, the stranger, and you too. And they're a little bit confused about that. And they get in, and they say, uh, to, and doctor points to the child. And he says, I just want you to know that your kidney transplant operation went fantastically well. It looks like all oh, things are going really well. We're really hopeful that things will work out well. And then, And then he points to the darker skinned boy, you know, suggesting that he's a Muslim. Because that's what the video wants you to think anyway. So let's call them the Muslim kid. And then say, and, and that's uh, thank. Uh, we thought we, you might want to meet the young man who gave you his kidney, right? And then they looked, they, they looked very ashamed. Ashamed, don't you know, for having prejudged him as they had, okay? And to me, I think, as if, <laughs> right? That's the first thing I think. Really, where are these all these examples of Muslims giving kidneys for one thing, or Muslims rescuing? White families from other from other white terrorists, for real? I mean, like, I don't mind you saying, look, you know, let's let's not judge all Muslims by the by the bad actions of a a large percentage of them, but (laughs) (laughs) but let's.
2: (laughs) Well done, Barack. That that was a
1: great moment. Right. It's like. But let's—it's it's certainly not the majority, right? So uh, anyway, let's not let's not judge that. I get that. I get that. You know, and it's—you can say it's dangerous, and it leads to—but—but but you know what? The truth is, it's not happening. Where we, you know, where there's not these pogroms going against Muslims and Muslims, you know, shrinking in fear. Hardly that, right? This is not like the the pogroms against the Jews, uh, who were who made up maybe three percent of the population at best at any one time in Germany. No. They, 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 and and these these Jews never had a terrorist action, you know, to to be attributed to them ever, during the. Uh the, the the century the two centuries the three centuries the millennia that preceded the Holocaust
2: yeah and they weren't they weren't taking advantage of public housing or welfare programs they were a small minority handling merchant class work that other classes within the society wouldn't do wouldn't like do. Bank, banking right. and um, currency exchange and jewelry peddling right you know? right, right.
1: <laughs> it's you know it's, what's the expression it's like uh, the the one percent of the, the such and such people are making the 99% of us who are law-abiding look bad, right? Right. So, unfortunately, that the numbers are something like the 25% of you who do, who want, uh, you know, jihad and to destroy everything, are making the, the remaining 75% of us look really bad. Well, yeah, yeah, that's well, exactly. Let's let's
2: even be more accurate. You know, the 20% of you who are committing acts of jihad. Are making the 80% of you who are supporting the acts of jihad make the remaining
1: 10% look bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that's more than 100%, but I think we get the idea. That's, like right. that. that's why Ari is not in sciences. Well, no, the
2: the 80% overlap
1: at originally 20%. That's true. You know, that's a good point. All because
2: right. if you are doing jihad, you by proxy support jihad.
1: Right. Yeah, it's, it's a... Yeah. Uh, yeah. All that you need yeah. for evil to thrive is is to, to do nothing. And certainly so much of the Muslim community is doing nothing. They they, they are not standing up. Okay, So even if you were truly against terrorism, uh, at the very least, stand up, write something in, in a local paper, say this is not who we are. We need to fight ourselves on this. Uh, if we want to be accepted in society, then we got to stop this madness. I do not support the destruction of Israel. I do not support... Um, our internal civil wars that we have with each other. This is not what Allah would want. Uh, we would want, uh, we should, we should reorient, to, reorient ourselves completely to a, 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 a religion of charity, of good works, of, of tolerance. But that is far from what we are. That's what they should be doing. But instead, what they do is they, they throw out these videos. And seriously, Ari, I get people saying, literally, you know, white people like you and me saying uh, on, as, as, as a comment to the uh, shared posting we all need to watch this everyone must watch this as if somehow that this is I, how you could buy this crap is amazing to me so I, I really did feel like writing in response to one I just didn't have the time first of all this, this ain't happening right um, that, that the Muslim kid is giving kidneys to a white family it just don't, it's just not happening I mean, in the abstract, I'm sure it's happening, but I bet it's never happened, okay, in in at least in Europe, okay. They, they, they why would they do that, okay? Secondly, um, you know, I just say as if, as if this is as if this is a real problem, that the the, the, this, the anti-Islamic you know hostility is actually happening. It's not happening. No, on the contrary, what they are experiencing is terrible fear. That's that's correct. But don't think for a moment that somehow there are – that the Muslims are in danger in Europe. Hardly. Hardly that at all. Okay.
2: And, so. and in the news today, uh, Muslim refugees are coming into Europe. If, if Europe is so unwelcoming to Muslims, why are they busting death through the borders to get in? Well, yeah, Number course. one. Yeah. And number two, when they do get in, the relief workers, this happened in Italy today, bring them water and food. They threw the food on the ground, stomped on it, destroyed it, took the water bottles, saw that they had red crosses on them, because they were being supplied by an organization called the Red, red Cross, Cross. Yeah. took offense to that, and in response to these aid workers, who are showing nothing but hospitality... And help They started screaming at them Threw the bottles back at them Attacked them in a riot And to top it all off And I know this is a family show But I'll put it as clinically as possible Threw fecal matter at them oh, It I didn't wasn't that. in the article It didn't say whose fecal matter it was But the point is disgusting. Someone actually had the um, Audacity To pick up fecal matter And fling it at the aid workers <sighs>
1: And it you wasn't know, the Europeans. You know, and each of these aid workers who are, are excited about, uh, you know, they, they woke up that morning saying, we're going to help people. I'm going to do something great. And, so, <laughs> and, and, and uh, someone to tell them that morning that, you know, when they were waking up. And guess what? Somebody's going to th- throw fecal matter at you uh, in response to your generosity. <laughs> they said, I don't know if I want to go to work today. Right, you get the idea. Yeah, so
2: and what are they going to do, qualify it with? But don't worry, the fecal matter that will be thrown at you, we don't know if the thrower produced the fecal matter, if it makes you feel any better. All right, let's move on to the, to the point. Move on,
1: thank you. But, but, but it is. I, I do want to talk about the migration crisis. And by the way, everyone is making a very big deal on Facebook that, it, that they are refugees, not migrants. okay. And again, so (laughs) so we get trapped in this uh, linguistic war again, you know, because they have to be arguing about something. How dare you call them migrants? No, they are refugees. Ah, okay, you you got it. Okay, so these refugees are uh, exploiting this opportunity to migrate (laughs) to Europe. Okay, how about that? Because that's exactly what's happening. There's an open door policy. Literally, uh, Germany has said that they want to accept not 8,000. That's no, so I should start. Not 800, not 8,000, not 80,000, but 800,000 of these refugees. I've got to be very careful because, you know, who knows what they're, what they're thinking. The 800,000 refugees into Germany alone. A year. Meaning a year. Meaning another
2: 800,000
1: yes. next year. Right, and they have admitted that in all likelihood it'll be a million by the end of this year. Okay so, so it's actually much higher as, as it always is,, you know, whenever they're, they're spending or whenever they're talking about immigration, they always underestimate, but that's another story. OK, so it begs the question, because is this is a defining moment? No, it's an illustrative, emblematic moment in liberalism. And, and what do I mean by that? Okay? Uh, it, it means that in this one moment, you see everything you need to know about liberalism. It, it, it reveals all its flaws and its inherent stupidities. And, I, and I, it's not meant to insult, although no doubt a lot of our liberal listeners will be insulted. But there's no other adjective or noun for it other than stupidities. Okay, so let me, rather than just throw out these harsh words, let me explain. How the German government can think that they can absorb what will be the equivalent of one percent of its population? Okay, a year, a, a year, okay, mind you, and not wonder, wonder at least, you know, perhaps we should vet all these people, and not wonder whether or not they are bringing in, let's say, criminals, okay, because they are, and not wonder, for example, whether they're bringing in. Oh, I don't know. ISIS members.
2: Oh, (laughs) oh, you're gonna lay down the law and say the T word next, right? Yes,
1: yes, and and maybe, just maybe, there might be more terrorism. Oh. Yes, I said it. I went there. He went there. (laughs) I did. (laughs) And and there might be more terrorism. There might be more crime. There might be more rapes. In fact, there it's almost guaranteed. Look what happened in Sweden, which is now the the uh, rape country capital, if you will, of the world, or at least the civilized world. Look what happened in northern England, right, with its uh, rape, uh, gang raping uh, syndicate that they uh, they had through uh, these these Pakistani men, refugees, right? This is the way, this is the natural order of things. Why do they think, the Germans, that, that somehow they're going to be able to avoid this more than the other countries have? And here's another thing they're not thinking of. At some point, when do you cease to be a German nation or for that matter a French nation or a Dutch nation or what have you um, when and you know obviously if 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 all of a sudden the Germans are only 5% of the population you would say that's a problem right unless maybe it's not a problem for you maybe you think that Germany is just a territory and Germany means nothing, and we don't have to get into the whole history of Germany. Yes, I know that the Germans committed Holocaust and such, maybe it's a bad example, but but it's not. Germany is a very different country than the pre-World War II Germany, right? It's a completely different animal, but the point is Germany is not about anything. Germany is just a bunch of people that live together and more or less speak German uh, in many different dialects, and it's a fractured nation as it is. So. What do they care? Why are, what would they be fighting for exactly? Uh,
2: German cuisine, German culture, German music which as the Japanese know is
1: the best in the world. But they don't care about it. They know they, they it sounds what you see, what you say is is reasonable, Ari, But but they don't, you know they don't, they, but, 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 but they don't. They don't have it. They don't have it. It's it's not that they would then it's not worth dying for. It's not worth fighting for. It's not worth speaking up for even. It's not even worth writing an article in a local paper. Well, from what
2: I understand, the German people, just like the Americans here when it came to our border flood last year, are outraged by this Germany this is happening all over the Western world in which uh, in country after country we have elitist rulers who rule over us rather than represent our interests and Germany is just another example of this I
1: look th- that's part of the liberalism stupidity because right. they don't realize that, that they, they feel that they are entitled as leaders to to dictate terms uh, about the, how the rest of us will live I don't think uh, Angela Merkel uh, for a moment I mean I used to respect her now I don't I don't think for a moment she thought of how this is going to affect the daily lives of ordinary German citizens, uh, that it's going to wildly affect the the, the way that they um, perceive their surroundings and their own livelihoods and such. It's going to affect terrorism and, and whether or not Germans even want to live in Germany anymore. I, I predict, I, and I think it's not such a bold prediction, by the way, that it will lead, yes, uh, to the consequence of, of massive emigration of, of um uh, you know, Germans, uh, actual, you know, regular Germans from Germany to America, to other places in Europe that they perceive to be safer. But what are you thinking? Uh, th- that's the classic example of, of of the failure to think in consequences. Angela Merkel, who is ostensibly the conservative, you know, with conservatives like these, I would hate to think what a liberal would do, right? So, uh, but she's, she's a you know here in America she would definitely be considered a liberal, however believe, believe it or not she's actually considered considered a liberal uh, a conservative in Germany and she is relative to the other liberal nuts out there
2: i would I would say for most clarity to say relative to the standard of European Union political liberalism
1: like Ola, that's right or the people in charge of Spain or those yeah countries. that's exactly right but anyway so this is so other things that, that she's not thinking of, of course, is the massive drain on the financial system, right? I mean, she's going to have to, or, or not she, but she, Germany will have to at some point dole out a lot of money to educate these people, to make sure they have the wonderful medical services um, that uh, they claim to have, uh, and to otherwise make sure that they have the pensions and the guarantees for work and everything else that you might imagine. What, what are they thinking? I mean... What, what prompted all this, that, that they would have such an open door? What, what benefit is there for them? Is it because they have such a hard history, Germany, that they want to show we are the first ones to open up our doors to the most amount of refugees? Look how different we are than we used to be. If that's the case, you know, listen, no, we, we, we didn't ask you to, um, uh, to destroy yourselves as a country. Uh, as, as the punishment for what what you did through Hitler and Nazism, no. And by the way, it has been 70 years. You are a completely different country. No one no one thinks you're going to rise to to power with yet another Hitler. Yeah. We're cool with that. We any, understand. Any, you're full on democracy too.
2: Yeah. Any Holocaust guards who were traipsing around in 1944 are 90 year old men today. Uh, yeah. And they're harmless. Yeah. They're, they're harmless. They're and, toothless, harmless, and probably incontinent.
1: Right. <laughs> incontinent. Um, but, but putting that aside, Ari, it's just, just laughable that that they would do this. I mean, how they could think that opening up their borders this massively. I mean, it would be one thing if they simply said, "Look, we will consider any refugee so long as they can demonstrate that they are good citizens, that they that they they check out from a terrorist uh, watch, uh, watchdog history, or watch list," I guess that they're not on any no-fly zones, um, you know, that, that, that so in other words, that they check out. That's all we want them to do. But no, they, they have to open up the doors, and we'll let them in, and maybe we'll ask, ask questions later. Yeah.
2: The way it looks like to me is that all over the Western world, you're having these elitist leaders who are almost running like a type of Dr. Frankenstein experiment on both their own societies and the collective aggregate societies that border those societies that make up an aggregate known as the Western world, in which they, just for poops and giggles, are trying to undo the stasis uh, that the world was in at the end of World War II, in which essentially the New World Order of of post-World War II enforced this this balance in which people said to themselves never again, both about the Holocaust, the massive dislocation of displaced people, the the wars, all those things. And today, 70-some-odd years later... The, the people in leadership all over the world, no matter what political stripe they're from, have forgotten these lessons in their bones and are more than willing to just run these experiments
1: and say, hey, let's see what happens. Well, with, whether it's experiments or otherwise, are I, I, I you know. I mean, make, I'm not saying they have a lab coat on. Hang on, hang on. I understand that, but I'm talking about whether it's social experiments what you're talking about. Yeah. I get that, but I don't think they're doing that. I think that they they have this, that they, they saw a picture of that three-year-old boy who was drowned in the on the ocean, and somehow that I think that, that was a big agitator, by the way, to let um, to have Germany let so many Syrian refugees in. I, I'm confident about that, which it's just so ridiculous. I mean, it's an absurd response to it, because yeah, they uh, should have come to the opposite
2: conclusion when right, they saw exactly. that
1: picture. It's how they're dealing with this is a nightmare, and um, as, as compassionate as they want to be, you just can only do so much. Look, if I, if I wanted to be compassionate to every homeless person I, I saw, I would say, come to our house, we will feed you, right? And then, you know, soon enough, I'll have 50 or 100 people, then then 1,000 people in my house, and they'll be all over my house, and I'll have to feed them all the time, and guess what? I'll be drained of my financial resources, and I'll be toast. You'll be one of them. Yeah, exactly right. right. I'll be homeless myself. And then all of a sudden, they'll, they'll kick me out of my own house. They'll squat in my house. And that's just the way it works. And then they'll, then they'll demand certain things. There's a great book that um, you may ultimately read to your uh, daughters one day, Ari. It's called Thidwick, the Big-Hearted Moose. Have you heard of this? I believe I have. It's a Dr. Seuss book. Oh, yeah, that commie. No, but this one you'll like. <laughs> and uh, this, it's about this moose who has antlers. And one by one, these small little insects go on and say, can I please get a ride on your antlers? And he says, sure, no problem. He's very accommodating. And then the ant says to a spider who sees this, you know, and the spider says, can I, can I also go on the antler? Well, without even asking the moose, the, the ant says, sure, come on in. There's plenty of room. And then, of course, what, what, what do you think happens? Then the spider and the ant invite, you know, a squirrel. Then the squirrel invites... A rabbit, and so on, and suddenly this Thidwick guy, this moose, carries this huge amount of antlers, and they start making demands about how they have a right to be on this, on these antlers. It's really, it's it's, it's a great anti-socialist message. It couldn't be better. And how Thidwick is, of course, you know, struggling now at this point. He's has to he has to carry this burden. And at some point, he um, it, it turns out that. Um, he has to, you know, moose apparently outgrow their antlers. So at one point he knows that he's going to lose his antlers. And he says, you want it? You can keep it. And he throws his antlers into the ocean with all the animals there and they all drown. And he grows his own antlers again. And now he realizes he's not going to be taken advantage of again. It it's it's a really cool uh, little book. So, but this is the way it is. And, and where do you think this story is going to go with all these migrants. Oh, no, I'm sorry, refugees. Where do you think it's going to happen? The answer is, is so obvious. And you know how in the, you know, we, we saw what happened with the, um, the, the dumping by Castro of all the criminals in Cuba, right? It changed the whole dy- dynamic of Florida, right? Suddenly there was this Cuban refugee crisis, right, that we absorbed completely, And then you have movies uh, and a whole crime syndicate that results from it. And the movies like uh, Scarface, right, that talk exactly about that. Now, of course, the the Cuban immigrant population is so much different now than it it was back then. And it is a a thriving community and such. But it's a different community. Florida is not the same as it used to be. I'm not saying that it's better without them or or anything. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, But But it's different. The Cuban uh, expatriates... We're not
2: the Cuban criminals that,
1: right. on the Marianna's yes. good distinction. Left. Good distinction. Yes, thank he you for that. He sent
2: them plan. over to wreck the Cuban community. Yes. Yeah. He, he. It was a poison pill that he wanted to thrust upon. That Carter, best president ever, <laughs> not decided
1: to say, Oh well, we got to take these people. We well, don't so, have any if, other if, choice. so if you think that was bad, and it was bad, the the criminal enterprise of the Scarface types, right? If you think that was bad, imagine what 800,000 of, of these people, none of whom you know what was actually going on, and you know that ISIS is using this as a great opportunity to infiltrate where they could never have infiltrated before.
2: Yeah, because if you look at these people, they don't look like starving refugees. They don't look like the kid who got his uh, limbs hacked off in, in Kabani or, or Kurdistan. Yeah. These are well-fed, totally well-dressed, not well-dressed, but dressed
1: young men who look like they're in great physical shape. I dare not think about what are the consequences of not thinking, and yet here we are. We have to think of it for the Germans. We see stupidity happening as, uh, as we breathe. It's, it's right there on the news, opening up their doors, 800,000, and then expecting other European nations to follow suit. What do you think is going to happen? I mean, this will be a turning point, my friends. We will look back to this time and say, yep, that was the beginning. It was already tough enough as it was in Germany, and now they want 800,000 more, no, a million more per year. And it's going to be more and more, all thanks to a completely descending uh, political situation in the Middle East, everything collapsing before the rise, all because of liberal policies, And now coming right into Europe to destroy those very liberal countries, just as they had
0: threatened that they would. This is Brock Lurie. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you had a case where your client invested $100,000 with her accountant who put her into various fake real estate investments.
1: Yes, the challenge here was that neither the attorney nor the client were really focusing on this case. So what would you do? At the deposition, I had a big stack of documents that I told her I was going to ask her to testify about and made sure she saw those documents and let her know her serious exposure. We settled for the full amount of the payments my client had paid her. We didn't even start the deposition. Litigation is a lot about understanding the psychology of your opposing party and sometimes the opposing counsel.
0: I'll say another success. I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right. Barack Lurie at Lurie & Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to The Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer.
1: Brock Lurie, we're back again uh, talking now about the latest and greatest when it comes to the Iranian deal. So it turns out that um, we're very close upon the date by which there's supposed to be a deal uh, or rather a vote on the uh, propriety of the Iranian deal. This is the deal that we talked about before where uh, we've agreed uh, to a, a certain procedure You know where we can uh, vote by majority as to whether or not we disapprove of the, the deal, and then Obama can override it, and then we would have to have two thirds of the Senate in order to uh, override the veto. Oh, sorry, that he, Obama could veto it, and then we could override it. Got it? Good. We don't like the deal. This is a deal that is just multi-flawed in so many myriad ways. There's so many layers of its flaw. It's 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 like, it's as rich as the Brothers Karamazov, in terms of how complex it is, but only in terms of its multi-layers of flaw, okay? among them that were supposed to protect Iran from an attack from Israel. You pointed that out to me uh, at, you know, in, in a side note once, a, once upon a time when the deal was just coming out, and I thought, okay, that's just crazy. That, yeah,
2: no, you were like, what is that, from The Onion?
1: Yeah, was, right. I thought it was from The Onion, and I thought there's no way that this is true. They would have been talking about this already. And then about four days later, that, then it became much more in, in the news. And I just I couldn't believe they would actually put this. Okay, and then, then, of course, that we would release $150 billion. Then, of course, that they get to inspect themselves. I mean, the deal just got more and more absurd. I mean, it was like, uh, like I don't know, like the Three Stooges. It became so embarrassing for, for as an American, just to, to see these things coming out. Uh, I mean, one after the other, it's just, you know, and then the Russians, you know, are now, and it doesn't stop the Iranians from being who they are. Then the Russians can give... Uh, military supplies to the Iranians. It doesn't stop them from receiving goodies from other nations.
2: And it doesn't stop them from building uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles with the range to hit the other side of the world. Yeah, that's exactly which, which right. Which was a, a big sticking point in the deal. Well, we'll let them develop this, but they'll have no
1: delivery system. Right. And well, put here's the delivery system now. Right, and putting aside the fact that this, that the whole... It, the whole point is to stop them from developing nuclear bombs. But this deal specifically allows them to develop nuclear bombs. Even if they, even if they live up to the nuclear treaty or the deal, then in eight or nine years they have the right to build a friggin' bomb. So, if but it's so it's okay for them to have the bomb eight or nine years from now. Why why is that good? I mean, is the idea that you just want to make sure that you're, that, that, uh, that Obama wants to make sure his kids uh, graduate from college? What's the deal? I don't understand this. Yeah,
2: but then get vaporized.
1: Yeah. I mean, so, so we just have eight more years of, of life, or Israel at least has eight more years. What, what's, what gives here? What, what's the rationale that this is a good thing?
2: Obviously, Obama didn't want his daughter stuck with those big student loan debts.
1: I guess so. Well, he vaporized those, too. <laughs> That's the good news. <laughs> You're gonna take the bad with the good. I was afraid you'd want to back up and end that one
2: out. I thought this is a good joke. No, no, <laughs> no, it's,
1: it's like uh, yeah, you know, all your good stuff is gone. Like uh, you know, that favorite restaurant that you used to like, you know, the the car that you drive and the, the nice house that you may live in. But the good news is, all your debts are clean too, right? And all your enemies are dead. Oh, what's that you say? You're dead too? Well. Well, you can't be too choosy, can or you? You're
2: just blinded and emaciated with third-degree burns over all of your body and cancer.
1: But <laughs> you know, well, the good news, your enemies are dead, <laughs> yeah. don't you see? You, you've got to see the big picture here. It's the new normal. All right. Um, uh, this is the Iranian treaty. So now interesting things are developing because it always struck me how odd it was that John Boehner, who's the leader of the Congress, uh, the Republican majority leader, that he doesn't seem to have any muscle at all, right? It just, you know, yes, we can laugh at him in terms of he's always crying and, and such like that, but he really has no huevos. He has no uh, strength. And I, I don't mean this huevos in, in, a, in a machismo sort of way. I mean it, he just doesn't have backbone. backbone. That's what I, what I really want to say. He doesn't ever stand up and say that, you know, this, this crap is awful and, and, and call it crap for one thing and then fight Obama, uh, we need a fight, right? I mean, when was the last time you saw John Boehner say, we're going we're gonna, to you know, take uh, Obama's uh, policies to the mat and we're going to fight this tooth and nail?
2: Uh, when he attacked the Tea Party and Ted Cruz. He's very
1: good at doing that. Okay. You're not responding to my question, counselor. Yeah, I, no, he never has. Okay, thank you. That's, that's the concern I have. In this administration, this most, in my opinion, and I think I'm right, the most corrupt administration that America has ever known in this administration, which has sought to transform American policy and what America is all about the most of any other administration in American history, this is the time that, that Boehner, our, our leader, of the, while he's in a majority, um, has not done anything to respond. Okay, and the question becomes, what are you doing? What, are you, what job do you have? What is your job, sir, Mr. Boehner? If you can't counter this, if you can't stand up, you know, and, and say, this ain't right, then why, why do we have you in Washington in the first place? So Because we have what's called an adversarial system here. Where yeah.
2: If there's no adversarial uh, give or take, then we have no system. And all Boehner's been so effective at in dealing with Obama. Yeah. And I gave my answer about the Tea Party that was right. somewhat in jest. Although it's true, is when it came to Obama, rather than being Obama's adversary, he's his his, his servant. Remember the uh, stimulus bill. Remember the um, or not the stimulus, the uh, sequester bill. Yeah. Remember the tax bill that was at the deadline at the budget uh, uh, d- default when the bud, the budgetary cliff of early two thousand fourteen. In both situations. Boehner and the Republican side had Obama beaten at the negotiating table. Obama was the desperate party, and
1: Boehner intervened at the 11th hour to save Obama's... I know, I know. It's it's very strange. Now, this goes back to our overall uh, theory and concern, frankly. Remember we talked about um, uh, John Roberts and the Supreme Court decisions, right? We also talked uh, about yet another um, person who who seems to have been forced into a decision that doesn't doesn't make any sense at all, okay? But John Roberts comes to mind right away. Two decisions that truly made no sense, both on the health care well, what, yeah, both health health care bills didn't make any sense, and then of course uh, Justice Kennedy when it came to the gay rights one, um, but more so on the health care bills, they don't make sense from a legal point of view, from a constitutional point of view they forced a fit there and then claimed that somehow they were doing it for the reputation of the Supreme Court.
2: Yeah, because with the the same-sex marriage bills, as far as Kennedy's vote, it didn't make legal sense, but if you knew Kennedy's history being so pro-gay agenda his whole career, there was a logical flow to it. Yeah. Robert's conduct had no logical flow. It came completely out of left field. Right.
1: And... uh, Obama... Sorry, what, what we're seeing is a reflection of some arm twisting. I'm, I'm quite convinced of it at this point. It's just too bizarre. And then there's also further, now that it comes to mind, we were talking before about how there's an immigration battle and how Obama really forced people's hands. He, he managed to have an amnesty bill that uh, he, he proposed and ultimately got Republicans to sign off on before the next administration took on. And so well, you know, that
2: was the, the budget bill. It was the, the bill, amnesty bill, amnesty bill before the election. He promised he wouldn't do it. He wanted Congress to do it. Yeah. But in the summer of 2014, That's right. a year ago, this flood of illegal aliens are invading, yep. are being put into essentially
1: uh, internment camps on the border. Right, and nobody talks about it, and it's, uh, it's still going on. We have, you know, it's funny we talk about the Syrian refugee crisis. We we've got our own refugee crisis too, although it's uh, they're migrants, you know. But there's again, there's a big distinction between refugees and migrants. You understand? All right. Nevertheless, it's it, you know scandal after scandal. There's he, he Obama has a way of squashing the issues. Now there are there are exceptions, of course, the email scandal, to a lesser extent the Benghazi scandal. But the IRS scandal, you don't hear too much about that as much anymore, and, and there's this squashing of, of uh, things. And don't do things that are too contrary to the president, and definitely don't, don't claim that, that things go directly to the president. Even Benghazi, for example, it's all about Hillary Clinton. They don't say, well, this, you know, I wonder what, you know, President Obama was doing at the time, and 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 whether he has his fingerprints on Benghazi. Right?
2: Yeah. And also, it's they're very careful. And and to your point about Boehner, it's like any one of the, like in a bar, how you have well drinks and top shelf liquor, you know, I'll pretend that stuff, I know that. Yeah. The good stuff versus the bad stuff. The Benghazi, the IRS scandal, fast and furious. That's top shelf scandal. Yeah. Those are any one of them is impeachable Right. if the powers that be in the House wanted to pursue it. And there's no action by Boehner. We constantly hear this um, complaint about media coverage and media bias, but the Republicans in charge of those branches of the government don't give any news stories to the media, so they have no nothing to report even if they
1: wanted to. Then Nothing to see here, nothing to see here. Yeah. Uh, so going back to Boehner, so now we have this... Um, The Iranian deal that's being um, passed, or they're they're considering to to pass one way or the other, and Boehner apparently wants to take this to a floor vote on September 11th, this coming Friday. And of course, the problem with that is that it's September 11th; it's too weird, you know. That the date is still a date that lives in infamy. It's kind of an important anniversary for some reason. Yes, yes, yes. So So, so it's a date that leads somewhat in in infamy, right? And it, there, there might be too much symbolism. I mean, you can do other things on, on September 11, I suppose, like you know, pass a highway bill and things like that. But, but when you're dealing with a rogue nation like Iran and all that, all the terror that it offers and all the threats that is, it is now about to impose upon us, September 11th maybe not a good day. Okay, so uh, at the end of the day, there may be a, a possibility that this will will not even be decided because. If if the Corker bill, according to its own terms, doesn't um, even pass judgment on it, well, then perhaps the deal doesn't get get through at all. Anyway, I know that's your point, Ari, uh, but I'm I'm concerned that they will filibuster this bill. And you know, we try to make these uh, these podcasts timeless, and we don't know really what's going to be in the future. But one of the op- one of the possibilities here is that. They will filibuster. They have enough votes to filibuster. But do they really want to do that? I don't think so. I think it's not much better than the president vetoing the disapproval of the Iranian deal.
2: Well, I think in the chess game of this, or I should say this portion of the chess game, I think Obama, like with amnesty a year ago, it's going to prevail with his will one way or another. Because they've essentially... It, during his, so far, seven years, he's essentially rendered Congress useless. Yeah, he's neutered them. He's completely neutered them. Yeah. They have, even though two branches of the Congress, which is one whole branch of government, are in the opposition party's hands, they make no effort to stop him because of whatever perceived political pressure they feel they're under or because of their own will. So... Obama will get his Iran deal, but it will not happen with legitimacy, the imprimatur of
1: Congress. Here's what happens. When and I'm convinced of this at this point, when Obama needs a certain amount of votes for the bill, and he knows he first goes to the Democratic well, right? He goes there and tries to get everyone on board. He tries to say, Come on, guys, let's you know, this is teamwork here, let's let's make this happen. He gets a lot of talk back. Then he says, okay, who's still with me? And let's say 30 of the 50 or so senators, roughly again, say, yes, I'm with you. And then he's got, you know, he needs only another 16 for whatever reason. He will muscle those 16, and he will do whatever it takes to get those 16. Because don't you know that every one of those 16 has some sort of dirt that they don't want uh, revealed? And I have no doubt that this president... Doing the things that he's already done um, is, is not above that. And even if they don't have dirt, he'll create it. And the perfect example, the reason you're so right, is Bob Menendez of New Jersey. Oh, good example. He, and I was going to use that example because somebody who could do to Bob Menendez what they did to Bob Menendez uh, is somebody that will do almost anything.
2: Yeah, loyal Democrat to the core. The only thing he doesn't agree with Obama on is the Iran deal, and that was enough to unleash this whole prosecution yeah. on him, yeah, which isn't see. just threatening his career. It's threatening to
1: throw him in and jail. Uh, oh, yeah. oh it's, it's absolutely right. And, um, and of course, Obama and uh, Hillary Clinton in particular are doing far worse stuff than, than Menendez ever did, even, even in the allegation of what Menendez did. All right, so... We're going to find out a lot of information, how much muscle uh, Obama actually exercised. This is a truly corrupt organization. And, And remember what we said before, liars always lie, mean people are always mean, lazy people are always lazy, and corrupt people are always corrupt. Okay, so you can't. On the one hand, let's say we know that that it's a corrupt organization. We've seen too many things, for example, pulling back on the um, the, the prosecution of the new Black Panthers, right? There is obviously a an agenda behind all that. So, but, but somebody who could do that also could muscle things in other ways too, right? Allowing the the border to be open, um, uh, seeking the, the the Supreme Court on on Jan Brewer for enforcing the immigration laws. Something odd is up. Now, for those of you, the liberals who are listening, saying, oh, come on, this is so conspiratorial, Mr. Lurie. This is ridiculous. Really? You think so? First of all, it's not a conspiracy, because this is Obama and his henchmen. Yeah, so
2: it's not a conspiracy. It's just criminal
1: activity. It's just, it's just, just crime. criminal. And he wants to get his way, and he's getting his way. It's not as if anyone's stopping him. And every time he does something that is extra-presidential, no one seems to stop him, right? So catch me if you can. I'll do executive orders. I've got my phone and my pen, etc., cetera, et cetera, right? So he seems to think that, uh, you know, the, it's one of these people that the more they get away with it, the, the more they pursue to get away with. Oh,
2: you mean like anyone?
1: Yeah, exactly, right? I mean, we, we talked before, I think, on this, uh, on this very podcast about how if you, if you um, have a... Uh, an office and you let people just pilfer whatever they want, paperclips, staples, and so on. And then they just continue to, you know, what, what, what's going to happen? Eventually, they're going to continue to pilfer more and more expensive items and ultimately the money from your your petty cash. That's the way it's going to work. And if they have access to it, to your bank account. That's what they'll do. And, and Obama is doing the exact same thing. He's He's Fitting into that pattern, right, he, he tries a little bit, he tries to get, a, get away with this or that item, this or that executive order in particular, and, uh, you know, boy, a man that can stop the whole enforcement of immigration laws, that's a lot of power. A man who decides he's not going to enforce DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act, that's a lot of power. A man who decides to devote all his resources toward uh, Ferguson and have a federal indictment uh, instead of dealing with actual murders of cops, that's a lot of power. He directs the DOJ. So I
2: thought of one more. A guy who removes mm -hmm. all of the loyal heads of the military branches and replaces command-level yeah. Soldiers at all levels in all branches of the government with his own loyalists. Yeah, it's it's that's, a, it's that's a very dangerous thing for the next president.
1: Yeah, this this by the way, this is nothing new, guys. And, and and to understand this, to before you say this is conspiratorial and you know, Barack you're really going far afield here, I understand that. But it's what you think is normal, is not normal. The 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 notion that a government polices itself and does things uh, on the straight and narrow, that is abnormal. That is truly unusual. And if you think that is just the way it goes on and on and on and on, and on like that, that, that's the norm of, of things, you are fooling yourself. Because the normal is to do what we just described, which is to take power as much as possible, to install military leaders that are loyalists to you, just like you said, Ari, To not enforce the laws that you don't want to enforce And to enforce laws that you do want to to enforce And for that matter to create your own executive orders and so on This is what happened in Rome This is what happened in Greece This is what happened in all empires
2: This is what happened in Venezuela and Cuba And Cambodia
1: That's the norm my friends So before you call us uh, crazy and off the rails Understand that we're just saying that he's doing exactly what most power-hungry people do. This also gives us a teachable
2: moment to explain the term accurately, American exceptionalism, because the reason those of you listening to this who are cringing right now are not used to this is because America is
1: the exception to this worldwide rule. Yeah. That's exactly right. Well, okay, so let's make some predictions here. Um, And we might as well. We've been talking about um, what to expect from this Iranian deal. And so we want to know what's going to happen? Now, we know one thing for sure. Israel will not take this line down. It it won't say, gosh, well, you know, the deal passed. I guess we can't do anything, you know, and, uh, well, we tried, and we we sure made a nice speech in Congress with that BB, Um, but uh, I guess it just didn't float anyone's boat, and uh, and Corker, well, it was a nice idea how to try to turn this around to get congressional approval and such, but The president didn't like it, and he managed to turn this around, and now he owns that treaty too. There's another example, by the way, of power-hungry, right, I mean, changing what should be treaties into his own personal missions, right? He told the Congress, basically, I'm going to do what I I want to do. Anyway, I I digress. So Israel, what is the future? And the questions are, what are they going to do? Because we know they're going to do something. When are they going to do it? And what are the repercussions of it, if any? Okay? So, let's start off with the when. Ari, you can chime in. I I think that Israel is waiting for some sort of results when it comes to the the Corker bill and such like that. Not that it needs to, by the way. But if the deal somehow fails, meaning that the Republicans win in, in killing this deal, Treating it like a treaty, and so on, without getting into the weeds of that anymore, we're, we're kind of done with that discussion. Then Israel may or may not do something. Maybe well, they're waiting then, for something. At, at that point, Israel's need to attack immediately subsides. Yes, it subsides. It, it certainly lessens. Uh, the danger is still there because Iran has is still, you know, creating its mischief and right. still threatening to uh, to do uh, nuclear fission and such and, and otherwise. And to to, to enrich uranium and so on. But if the Iranians are smart and they're saying, well, look, if we have no deal, then we have no deal. And we get to enrich uranium right now as fast as we want, whatever we want, and we're going to do it. Okay, so all the more reason why Israel would want to do something. Because it only, it only awakens the sleeping, not the sleeping giant, but it only awakens their sense of entitlement to do, to do it because we don't have a deal. Therefore, they're entitled to do what they want to do.
2: Yeah, but the way I see it is if the deal fails, something very important happens, which is this. The $150 billion the Iranian government is desperate to have to enforce their power, that goes away and the regime's power structure starts to get brittle. So Israel may not attack. Didn't we already release the 150? It's still, fr- it's been, we've said we will release it. Obama said he will release it, but it's still in the banks. Uh-huh. You know, large money transfers don't just happen like that. Right. Okay. So the point is, those are frozen assets that are still frozen. And if they remain frozen and it, Iran's government doesn't have access to them, that ossifies their... Financing, which you know, without money, dictatorships collapse. Right. So it puts their government potentially on the on the uh, edge of teetering, which is a very good thing because it means regime change could occur without a military intervention. Yeah. Now, Israel will allow the the machinations within the the Congress to go through for two reasons. Number one, because uh, New Year's is coming up next week. Russian, yeah, the Jewish New Year, and because. BB's speech basically gave Congress the invitation to have the opportunity to have a say on this. He wasn't speaking to Obama in that speech last spring. He was speaking to Congress saying, kill this deal. And he needs to give as sort of an honorable man you know, how government goes through these machinations, has to give them the opportunity to render their, their judgment.
1: Right. Okay, so let's say that the deal goes through, because I think it's going to go through the way things are panning out right now. God forbid, but there it is. Okay. Now, what will happen? I think there are options for Israel, but one thing we know is that Israel will do something. What that looks like, whether that's an EMP attack, that's an electromagnetic pulse attack, which basically wipes out the electrical grid of a particular country, um, which would be very effective, by the way, or they, they, they do some sort of direct attack on the nuclear facilities or they, they've already got everything in place right now just to hit a remote button and explode everything one by one. That would be kind of cool, especially in a James Bond sort of way. Um, I don't know. But the, the, for sure Israel will do something. It cannot deal with this existential threat. It is coming down the pike and Israel is too good, too effective, too intelligent to not deal with it. So that, that I'm very comfortable with. The question is when. Yeah, my thinking You're, is yeah, yeah, it and happens. And, and I, well, hold yeah. on. Now, Ari, you have uh, some logic to when it's going to happen. And I'd like to hear, because I thought it was fairly convincing. Go ahead. Well, my feeling is it'll happen
2: sometime in the days of awe between Rosh Hashanah and b- before Yom Kippur, because that's when the deal for Congress to, to pass this... Thing or not, falls. The that falls, I believe, on September 17th. So my guess is it'll be an attack on September 18th, which is a nice 18 number for Jewish right, including and my like birthday. That. Yeah, and your birthday. It would be a nice gift. <laughs> and I think the way Israel will attack would be using weapons that are launched from one of those two uh, submarines they bought from Germany last year, which uh, stops the danger or circumvents the danger present. Israeli pilots from having to fly over all that territory to get to Iran and back safely. It stops the need to uh, deliver weapons from an airplane, which goes through all those challenges and instead directly launches a a missile right off Iran's col- coast from the Persian Gulf meaning the the strike capability would be a matter of moments rather than a moment of, uh, matter of, uh, of matter of hours right so my guess it'll be something like that my guess is it'll also be a coordinated attack in which an EMP is detonated first and while the entire electrical grid is down air defenses radars etc then Israel will s- specific target either with nuclear or conventional weapons the specific locations like Fordo, uh, Quom, uh, Natans, or whatever those... Yeah,
1: per- Perins, or whatever it was. That yeah. There's that special one that they... Palmyra, want to- I think it is. Palmyra? No, that's in Syria. That's a different one. You're, you're thinking of the ancient uh, city of, oh, of Palmyra Syria. Palmyra is the Rome. There's, there's another one, I think it's called Perin, where, where anyway, it's, it's a major one where they, they, the Iranians are reserving the right to self-inspect. Yeah. Anyway, uh, look, we'll be, for sure, we... The Israelis are thinking of something that we are not thinking about, yeah, the only- and they are dealing with they are dealing with the issues that they have to confront, which is that they can't fly directly from Israel to Iran because it's too far away. And Obama sabotaged the the secret deal that they had with Azerbaijan uh, some two years ago, I think it was, because they Obama decided to expose it, which was a big fu to Israel. Uh, don't tell me that, that Obama is pro-Israel when he does that. Not, not for a moment can I believe that.
2: Well, so If he was pro-Israel, he'd never sign a, uh, a treaty, let's call it a treaty, that puts Israel at war with America in order to defend Iran.
1: Well, a, uh, a direct loggerheads with, Israel, with America at the very least. And, and, uh, and, and the, the audacity, the chutzpah, I should say, that Obama tells Israel what's, what's going to be good for it. I love that part. Thank you, Mr. Obama. Okay, so you get the idea. Um, I'm just I'm fascinated by what's going to happen these next few weeks, maybe even sooner than that. will be very telling. Um, this may be one of the most important months in world history. And if not this month, then this season, the fall season. God help us all. Um, and God help Israel. This is Baruch Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk with you real soon.